conversation taking place uh, in the thread of that uh, live stream last week of people just ministering to each other, loving on each other. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to reach out to some people. Uh, so we appreciate you all doing that, and that is available week in and week out as long as the technology holds up. Um, so last week, I feel like God showed up for us last week. Um, and uh, just the, the worship always prepares us for these moments. Um, but uh, I felt like God really came through uh, and made my message a lot better than it was going to be otherwise. <laughs> it, I, I'm only capable of like a 5 out of 10, right? So if you would have reviewed me on Yelp as like a 6 or 7, you know that those extra points are God. Because uh, I'm in my flesh, I'm only capable of, let's say, let's be honest, a 2 or a 3 probably. Um, but I think God really showed up last week, and uh, and, and it was... It was confirmed for me and the people that came forward at the end of the service to be prayed for. Uh, because as we, as we talked about last week, the, the whole idea in this Christian community that we share uh, is, is not just that we all do our own things, but we do, we do so in community. And so uh, we all as soldiers of the, in the army of the Lord, we all put on our packs. We all have our responsibility. The burden that we bear, the load that we carry is ours to carry. There is an individual responsibility there. But as our backs get stronger, and as, the, as we get more determined, more focused, more, uh, more committed to walking by the Spirit, our, like I said, our backs get stronger, we can look around and say, who's being crushed by a weight that they can't carry? Because my back is strong enough, I can, I can go help that person carry some of the weight that they're carrying around with them. Because guess what? At some point in time, and most of us more often than we care to admit, we need somebody else to recognize that a crushing weight is, is getting ready to crush us. And we would want them to step in and help us out a little bit too. So the title of the message, Pulling Your Weight and Then Some. That's what a strong church does. It's, it's part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. And so if you want to be labeled or characterized as a strong church, who wants that? I want that. I want to be thought of as a strong body of Christ. Not afraid of stuff that's going on out there. But that needs to characterize who we are and what we do. A number of you came forward, but don't lose sight. If you were one of the many that came forward to be prayed for, don't lose sight of the feeling that you felt in that moment when you came forward. Because feelings are fleeting. Feelings come and go. We're looking for commitment. So look to, look to put that feeling into a focused and intentional part of what we're doing here at Ignite. And, and I can't answer that question for you. So uh, whatever that might look like. And we characterize it as maybe you're, you're here uh, to have your weight carried for you, to, or you, you have something you're struggling with and need help with, and, and we're here to help you with that. But the, the goal is never to stay there. The goal is to get stronger and then be that to somebody else, right? And so we use, the, uh, we use the analogy of a pole. Some people need a pole to lean on, and other people, you are the pole to lean on, right? And so we're looking, that's the goal for everybody is to be that pole to lean on. Look for, if you, especially if you prayed with me last week, look for a way to turn that feeling into a function in this body. I'm going to do some teaching this week. A little less preaching, maybe. A bit more teaching. Not just because I'm sick, but there's a lot to, to kind of teach in this passage here. And it may just very well be a, a kind of a shorter uh, sermon this week. Um, get you all home to take uh, off time. The important game doesn't start until 7.30 tonight, but 3.30. 
We are going to be in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 6 through 10, the next bit of scripture for us this morning. Uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and uh, open a word of prayer. Lord, once again, we thank you for the opportunity, the word opportunity all throughout our text the last couple of weeks, but we we thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. We have opportunity to spend just a little bit of our Sundays uh, gathering in this building and, and sharpening our implements, sharpening our swords, sharpening our knives uh, to go out and do battle with the world, uh, Lord, not against people, but against principalities and, and powers and dark places. Lord, help us to be faithful to that, not to, to tear at each other, Lord, but to look at uh, opportunities that we can recognize people carrying weights that they can't carry on their own, and that we might be faithful to help them pick it up. Lord, for whatever reason, I stand before this group uh, a bit infirmed myself this morning. I, I just pray, Lord, that uh, your scripture would be true, and I glory in my infirmity so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Lord, I know you can do so much more through our weaknesses than you can through our strengths. So be great for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Well, that's got to be my favorite verse. Let the one who is taught, that's it, just so you know, that's you all. Let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. That's me. I'm sick. Somebody shared that with me. Thanks, Tim. It wasn't Tim that shared it, but... That's got to be every pastor's favorite verse, right? In fact, maybe we'll have an altar call after the end of the service. We'll have more preachers coming forward at the end of this service than ever before. No, in all, in all honesty, verses like this are actually the hardest to preach. Um, I'm committed to preaching the whole counsel of God's word. Every line, every jot, every tittle, every punctuation mark of God's word deserves to be taught unadulterated, unapologetically. Uh, and so this actually puts me in a weird position when it seems self-serving for me to do so. But that's the nice thing about being a verse-by-verse preacher, right? I've told you before, I, I like to preach through the Bible verse-by-verse, verse, so when I come to things like this, I can just smile and say, hey, it's time. It's just time. And in reality, this uh, this church here at night, I, I, have, I have never felt more loved, uh, more honored uh, than to serve at this church. And you all have done that for me in spades. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Um, in fact, it's a, I, I feel a little bit sheepish. I walk by that table with the box for the, the pastor stuff. I always feel a little bit awkward, like, eh, I hope nobody thinks weird of that, you know. I do want you to know that absolutely nobody's obligated to put anything in there. That's just the kind and loving people, the way that they treat their pastor here. Um, and and I can't, I don't know, I've, I've, uh, I've experienced uh, the desert, and I've experienced uh, plenty, and, and this is plenty. And so I thank you all for that. But let, no, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What does that mean? Well, there's no immediate connection. Scholars are kind of baffled as to why this verse is kind of sitting here between the verses that precede it and the verses that follow it. It doesn't make any obvious connection to either one of them. Uh, of course, I made the connection to the verses that follow, and that's why we're sharing them this morning. Uh, and possibly in connection to the idea of the harvest. So the greater the yielding, or you'll experience a greater yielding as you experience a greater sowing. And we'll get to the sowing and reaping here in a moment. 
But the one who is taught, what are they taught? Well, they're taught the word. And the content of the teaching is the gospel era apostolic teaching. So these are largely a Jewish audience. So even though we're speaking, the Galatians are, uh, are non-Jewish. They're Gentile believers. Uh, but this comes to us in a very Jewish world. But actually this word that, that Paul uses is unknown to Jewish literature. And so he's speaking of something new being taught, the word being taught beyond what they knew about the Old Testament, beyond what they knew about the Old Covenant. So the gospel era, grace era, apostolic teaching. This is perhaps the first New Testament case of a defense of a full-time minister. Um, and uh, we say that because Paul's letter to the Galatians is probably the earliest of his letters, and Paul was one of the earliest writers. Uh, so of our canonical scriptures, of those things that we, we view as scripture, this is probably the earliest case of a defense being made for the idea that a guy might get his living by preaching the gospel. You can see a fuller treatment of that in Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Uh, we're not going to have time to go to that, but if you wanted to look at the background of this, Paul treats it uh, a little bit more fully in those two chapters. But all that kind of goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, where it says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. The oxen is doing a job for you, treading out the grain. Don't muzzle the ox. Don't prevent them from eating some of the grain as they tread it out. And my guess is that the ox is going to work harder for you, work better for you, if they're getting sustenance along the way, right? So it makes sense. But that's where it kind of goes back to, and Paul makes use of that in his first letter to his protege Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, where he says, in effect, the same thing. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, as he's getting ready to send out the 72 apostles, he says, you, you go into these towns, you eat, drink, whatever they give you, because a worker deserves his wages. No more clearly, I think, than in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 14. We're going to read all of them. But uh, Paul says, what, what soldier becomes a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard if they're not going to eat some of the grapes from the vineyard? And who tends a flock if they're not going to drink some of the milk? Paul goes on to say, if we have sown a spiritual seed among you, is it too much that we reap a material benefit? And here's the beautiful thing. Because I can preach this as a bivocational minister mostly, getting my living from what I do outside of here. And so I can say with a clear conscience, uh, like Paul did, he's a tent maker. He says, I didn't make use of any of these things. Uh, lest though we think that those, teach, those preachers and teachers we see sometimes on TV, other places, and we, we think, oh, they make too much. They're doing too well. You have no idea what you're saying. The kind of weight that a pastor carries throughout the week, a, a Bible teacher carries throughout the week. You have no idea what you're saying when you say that. But I, I stand with Paul partly in the ability of saying, look, I, I earn my living outside of here. And so the church can do more stuff because they're not paying me, but that doesn't mean that that's a principle that, that goes out to every church. So maybe you look at a church down the road and they've got a full-time minister. You think he's not doing as much as he should. Well, maybe he's not. Believe that with God. Let God be the judge of all that. Because you have no idea what that guy's carrying. I belong to a, a number of uh, small church uh, minister or preacher uh, groups on Facebook and, and, and elsewhere. And I, I see the burdens that they carry. I see, the, I see the things that they are dealing with week in and week out. And uh, it's, it's a lot. Uh, so be careful in your judgment of, of them. You can judge me all day long. Because you know me. But uh, be nice to them. 
I'm actually embarrassed by Ignite's faithfulness in this, uh, in this regard, and I, and I love you all, uh, not because of it, but it's easier <laughs> because of it, I suppose. Paul never made use of this, his own defense here, but he made tents to support what he did so that nobody could ever say, look, you're only doing this for, for the monetary gain. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm not getting any of that. Goes on to say, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Those first words, do not be deceived. You could also say, make no mistake. But the problem is, they already made the mistake. They already were deceived. In the Greek grammar, actually it's suggesting to stop an action that's already in progress. Hey, stop being deceived. It's obvious for us, the readers of this book, that they've been deceived, right? They've added all sorts of things to the gospel that Paul said, I never taught you that. I never brought that in. Why are you adding that to it now? That doesn't belong in there now. So he's saying, do not be deceived, as in stop being deceived. God is not mocked. That's kind of a strange expression, isn't it? God is not mocked. What does that mean? God is mocked all the time. I I hear people mocking the idea of God all the time. It never ceases to amaze me that people don't believe in God and they hate him. How much sense does that make? I don't believe in the Easter Bunny. Haven't lost one night of sleep over it. The flying spaghetti monster, no no different. Not at all worried about that. Uh, Yet those that say they don't believe, but they hate him. I say, you do believe, you just don't like him. God is not mocked. To mock in in this context is to turn one's nose up at. But why is God not mocked when people mock him all the while? Why? Because God has the final say. He's not stymied by our petulant childlike tantrums. He is not even a little bit moved by them. He's moved by our hearts. He's moved by our needs. He's moved by our desires. But he's not moved to action because of our sniveling and our crying and our our fighting against him. Our turning up our nose at him. God has the final say on whether he is mocked or not. Because he created a world of natural consequences for actions. Don't we live in a world where if you do this, this will happen? You know, they say everything happens for a reason. I like that people live their heads in the clouds. Oh, everything happens for reasons. Well, sometimes, as I've shared before, the reason is you're dumb and make bad choices. Amen? Who gets popped from an amen? We, we have all been there. Look, I, I suffered some consequences because I made a dumb decision. And then I make the, the, the dumb decision I made yesterday, I make it again today. So, we yes, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it's that we God has created a world. In his sovereignty, he has created a world where we are free to make stupid choices. And we do so in, 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 uh, all the time. But God is not mocked. Whatever someone sows, or you can think of it in terms of an investment, whatever someone invests, that, that they will also reap or be paid dividends for. I think of just one example. A poor diet, right? Guilty. I'd like to see how many patties they can, they can stack on a burger. Like, is that all you can get, get in there? I can still smash it down. I can still take a bite. But the reality is at the end of our lives, when, we're, when I think it's still heart disease is the number one killer of, of people in America, is it any wonder we've been making choices all our lives that we shouldn't be surprised by this, that God has built a world of consequences for what we do, right? Now we have a shameless plug here for Tim and Terry Post. Those of you that want to get right on, get on track with that stuff, 
wealth of knowledge, wealth of information, and they have the love to want to share that with you. So if that's something that you are, are convicted about, this is not anything to do with the sermon. Just because I love Tim. <laughs> we make choices and they, they, and they, they have consequences, right? And uh, God created the world. He's not mocked by our not making choices that align with his will because his will is still going to be met out. Who, who thinks that we're going we're gonna to stymie, we're going to thwart God's sovereignty because of the dumb choices we make? You think too much of yourself if you think that you can. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Again, we see the flesh pitted directly against the Spirit. We saw that start in chapter 5, verse 17. They're at war with each other. You can't serve both of them. You've got to pick. So often we straddle the line between flesh and spirit. We, we don't want to pick because we want to have a, a healthy dose of both. I want to be good enough to get into heaven when I die. But I want to stay just enough aligned with the world that I can keep my friends and I can keep all my acquaintances and all the things that I like to do. You've got to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You can't serve the flesh and walk by the spirit at the same time. You only have one of you. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I said I was going to teach today, not preach. Now, the idea of sowing to one's flesh. Let me back up. I just say of this, of this idea of the harvest, uh, many commentators would say this probably is not something we see here and now. We get, we, get, uh, we get bits and pieces of it here and now. But ultimately, that harvest we're waiting for, uh, the eschaton, the, the, the end days, the last and final days beyond the judgment. But we sow here and now. And sowing to the flesh, well, some commentators have said, well, maybe it's this idea of circumcision, this, this sign in the flesh. This, this is what the, the book was written for, right? Uh, the Galatian believers were wanting to adopt Jewish practices so they could be more accepted by Judaizers. And so he said, hey, the first thing you got to do is you got to snip, snip. And then you look more like this. It's, it's in the flesh. It's a sign of the flesh. But the reason that it ends in corruption is because your body, this body that we carry around, tired and getting older every day, every second, is going to end in corruption for everybody. That's, that's coming for all of us. And so the things that we do in the here and now that only have any, any sort of uh, bearing in the here and now are going to meet the same deni- demise that our flesh does. More likely than that, though, probably is the idea that Paul has the works of the flesh in mind. From chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And the first and obvious result of those works of the flesh is where they take hold in our lives. I'll not go through all of them, but just a few of them to give us an idea. Substance abuse. It talks about drunkenness in that passage. But really, you can substitute drunkenness for any sort of substance abuse. Destroying your liver here on this planet. For momentary, temporal happiness. And really it's not even that, because beyond, beyond that drink, beyond that number of drinks, is the same problems waiting for you. How about sexual promiscuity? There's plenty of those listed in that passage as well. Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 27, I believe he's speaking of venereal diseases. They'll get the due penalty that they deserve for their sexual promiscuity. 
different partner every weekend, and you're wondering why you deal with the, the diseases that come because of that. Those that sow to the flesh will reap corruption. And then envy and bitterness, etc. If you live your life in, in envy and with bitterness towards people that, do, that have more than you or, or maybe you think don't deserve the things that they have. Relational strife and discord, you'll have very few friends. You might say, Pastor Jeff, well, I believe all those things, but I also believe in forgiveness, right? Don't we also believe in forgiveness? Well, well let me tell you this, that, and I tell this to my kids all the time. Forgiveness does not equal lack of consequences. The decisions we make in the flesh today have consequences regardless of how God forgives us for those things. I might take away my children's toys because they misused them. Or they're bashing somebody else over the head with one of them. They're not like that. But if they were, I'd take that toy. They'd say, well, I thought you'd forgive me. I do forgive you. But the consequence of your decision is still that you're going to go without this thing for a while. And so uh, we talked a little bit about forgiveness last week. Forgiveness is not the same uh, as no consequences for our actions. God has created in his sovereignty, he's created a world uh, whereby we would see dividends for the things that we do in, in this life. We would see some of those dividends, but ultimately we'd reap the, the, the whole harvest of those things in the next. And so we're encouraged to sow instead to the Spirit. So, or invest, make priority of walking in step with the Spirit, which will lead us to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. All those things will lead us to a rich reward at the harvest. Verse 9, the harvest that we're looking forward to. Verse 9 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And last week we talked about there's two different kinds of responses to the overwhelming need in the world, right? Uh, on, on one hand, I, I, I agree with, uh, with my, one of my favorite preachers that I don't know that we we're meant to know of every difficulty and, and tragedy in the world all at our fingertips on YouTube or on the Internet. Uh, because it, it does one of two things. It crushes you under the weight of, I can't do anything about all that stuff. Uh, or it, sens- it desensitizes you to the point of not caring. Well, here we're we're concerned about the first one, being overwhelmed to the point of giving up. Because the harvest or the reaping oftentimes is a long way off. How many times have you worked at something and not seen the fruit of your labor right away? There's been people I've been been pouring myself into for years and years and years, and they're still fighting. They're still arguing, still disagreeing, they're still finding reasons uh, not to let go what they're doing. The harvest is sometimes a long way off. And with those that say this is an eschatological harvest, the whole of our lives on this earth is our sowing period. We're not done sowing until we're done breathing. And fatigue sets in. We get tired. We get weary of doing good. It's easy to grow faint. When there's no end in sight. But that is what faithfulness looks like. We've talked before about perseverance. There's no such thing as perseverance except when things are hard. 
How can you say you persevered through something easy? It's not perseverance. By very definition, we need it to be hard in order to say that we persevered. And in the same vein, you cannot say you're faithful to something except that it is a long faithfulness. A long and steady obedience in the same direction. That's what faithfulness looks like. And it's fatiguing. It's hard. It's tiring. To day in and day out, say the same things, do the same things, push against that wall that for all intents and purposes seems like it's never going to move. And maybe, just maybe, that wall in your lifetime is not going to move. Stay faithful to pushing against it anyway. Because God has a job for us to do. He wants us faithful. He wants us sowing seed while we have opportunity. And that's what he's getting at next. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You've seen this, this word opportunity come up a number of times. Grant no opportunity to the flesh. Don't look for opportunities to, to, uh, to appease your flesh and do the things that are so temporary in the, in the happiness that it affords you. That joy, it's, it's cheap happiness. We see this opportunity again. Take opportunity not for the flesh, but to do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. But it's more than just taking advantage of opportunities that come to you. Because I think the better way to understand this is while we have opportunity. It's saying, Paul's saying, the text is telling us, we have opportunity right now because we're standing, our hearts are beating, our lungs are breathing. We have opportunity here and now in the sowing period. So while we have opportunity... Until God calls us home. While we have opportunity, we need to be sowing the Spirit. We have one life to do good. Just one. Think about how many lives have been wasted. And the whole, the whole, the best part of you has been wasted on all that you wanted to do. And then you say to God, I'll give you what's left. He says, no thanks, I got somebody else. I'm done waiting for you. I don't want to hear that. And I know you don't want to hear that. So while you are capable, while you have opportunity, look for ways in which you can be sowing seed for the harvest. We have one life to do good. And we are supposed to be doing good to everyone. Um, John Wesley has falsely been attributed with the following quote or a paraphrase of it. So don't perpetuate this on Facebook. You'll find for every one article saying John Wesley didn't say this, You'll find a thousand of them saying he did. He didn't say it. I've got his collected works on my shelves at home. You can look through them. It would take you days. Um, just take my word for it. But it's a great quote nonetheless. And it says, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Do all the good you can to all the people you can in all the places you can for as long as you ever can. It's a great quote, isn't it? Whether it's, whether it's what he said or somebody else said, somebody said it, it's a good one. And Paul doesn't let us off the hook. He says, let us do good to everyone. We have one shot at this, and then comes judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed to man to die and then once, and then comes judgment, right? We all have just this one life to live, just this one life to give, and then comes judgment. We can still live our lives while we have opportunity that we either fear the judgment or look forward to the harvest. Uh, for my part, I want to look forward to the harvest, saying, I sowed the seed I was supposed to sow. I worked at the field that I was supposed to till. I kept doing the things I was supposed to do. I'm look, looking forward to the harvest. 
I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to come of that. We can either live our lives in fear of the judgment or looking forward to the harvest. The choice is yours and yours alone to make. I can help shepherd you in those areas, um, but I can't make that choice for you. Uh, As we talked last week, every soldier has to pick up their pack and carry their pack because that is yours and yours alone to bear. There's an individual accountability, individual responsibility to the king of kings that I can't help you with. You have to make that decision yourself. What we see in this passage, as we wrap things up, we see doing good in three phases. The title of my message today, being good at your job when good is your job. And good is your job. Uh, That is the job of the Christ follower to do good to all people, everyone. You don't get to pick. He did good to them when he stretched out his hands and I'm dying for them too. And you're going to insult that by saying, yeah, I know I understood you died for him, but I don't really want to bring him that meal. I don't really love them that much. Well, he did. We see these three phases. First of all, the Bible teachers, Bible preachers, those that teach gospel truths. This is an alarming statistic I read years ago when I was wanting to get into the ministry. Why this didn't scare me away, I don't know, but uh, the one in ten finish. For every ten people that answer the call to ministry, only one will finish. Ask yourself, why is that? Are they just that weak? Are they just that uncommitted? Or ask yourself, are we not sharing all good things with those that have answered the call? Do some churches make the ministry a living hell for the person that's trying to minister the gospel and Jesus, the spirit of their lives? One in ten finish because it's so gosh darn hard. Ask yourself, have you been guilty of slamming pulpiteers? Because their message wasn't that good. Or you didn't really agree with the third point they made in their sermon. Never mind the fact that that pulpiteer spent 20, 30, 40 hours slaving away at his desk. Begging God to give him a message. And to be sure, there are some that do it flagrantly. They do it cheaply. They do it with no regard for the impact that they should have on people. But all too often, I think, we, we slam these guys and they, they're, they're measured as inadequate in our own estimation. It's like, uh, and we can clear this up right now this morning, um, for all those who ever have been pregnant or ever will be pregnant, it's not okay to just touch your belly, right? It's not okay to just walk up. People think it is universally okay to just say, oh, she's pregnant. It's not. But the other thing I think is universally kind of understood is that uh, sermons are out there just for you to critique. That, a, that a, a servant of God's message is just there for you to say, well, I didn't really like the first or the third point, and he wasn't really on his game this, this week. Having no idea what that minister of the gospel had going on that week. All right, So we've got to be do good. We've got to share all good things. And that's not just me, maybe not even primarily me. Anybody that comes to these doors and, and fills this pulpit needs to be treated that way. Share all good things with those that teach the truth, teach God's word, and maybe, just maybe, we would see that number climb from 1 in 10 that finish to maybe 2 in 10 or 3 in 10 and maybe even all 10 one day. Next, we're supposed to do good to everyone. 
That's, that's one of those ouch passages because it's like, okay, I, I get doing good to those that do good to me, the golden rule. It makes sense. I get it. It's hard sometimes, but it makes sense. But do good to everyone. Well, who does that leave out? Show me, show me a universal sign for who that leaves out. You guys don't know? I say, show me the universal sign. Everyone's like, no, I don't feel like it. My arm's kind of tired. I, I get it. I'm kind of tired too. We do good to everybody. We're looking to do good to those in our community, those beyond our community. And there's an evangelistic advantage in doing so. We don't do so just because there is, but there very much is. If we treat people the way Jesus would have us to treat them out there, we surprised these seats don't fill up in here. Because they say, you know, we've been cared for by these people. They're doing the Jesus thing. And I want to be a part of that. Again, going back to last week's message. For a time, you need to be the person who's re- receiving that goodness. But then eventually you get on your feet and say, I want, to, I want to start doing that goodness to other people. We do good to everyone. It should be the proper orientation of the Christian to want to help people in need. You're just oriented that direction. You see a need, you want to fill it. So that your problem is not that you don't go and fill it. You try to fill too many. That should be our problem, right? That we're trying to fill too many needs. We're too excited about uh, all those things. We run out of money. Man, I would love to know what it feels like to not be sure we can pay these lights because we fed everybody out there. And maybe God's waiting for us to do something sacrificial in here before it says, yeah, they're serious. They mean it. I'm going to do something miraculous with that bunch. Because they mean it. They see it. They, they read it. They study it. And they do it. Not just hearers of the word, but doers also. Do good to everyone. And I love this final point. But do good especially to those of the household of faith. We got, we got folks hurting right in our midst. That we need to be looking for ways to help. It has been, it will continue to be a focus from the leadership here at Ignite that we will look for ways. Now, sometimes you all aren't very good at telling us you have needs. <laughs> Excuse me. We don't always know. you got to let us know that the needs are there because we want to meet them. <clears throat> because we can't get outside the walls until we've been faithful inside them. And this needs to become a reality uh, not just from the pulpit, but also in the pews in order to become a part of our DNA here at Ignite. And I think largely, I, I praise God for this largely, it already has. You guys are so excited. It's like the um, old cartoon with the... Oh, I should have brought this up. It's not my notes. They like, spin their feet so fast when they get ready to run. They're not going yet. And so many of you are like that. I see the energy in you. I see the motivation, the excitement in you. Your feet just flying. You're, you're still You're waiting for a direction to go. And that's, man, that's exciting for a pastor because uh, so often you, you go to a group and there's just nobody's feet are moving. I welcome the idea of just having to point them in the right direction. They're already moving. I just got to point them in the right direction. All right? So I love that. But we need to do good, especially to those of the household of faith. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We'll be closing out here in a moment. And I apologize those that I have not... Uh, will not have a chance to say hello to you this morning. This is me saying hello to you this morning because uh, I'm going to slip out during this last song. Um, make sure I don't get anybody else uh, sick with this. But um, as they come up, just some closing thoughts. 
If we as a church don't like the current climate of our culture, we might want to ask ourselves, have we and have our forebears sown the proper seed? And have we sown it in high enough volume? If we don't like the culture around us, whose fault is that? It may not be your immediate fault, but maybe generations of Christians have been laying down on their job and not sowing seed. And so we're not seeing the harvest in, in the here and now like we're supposed to. Maybe had they, maybe had we been more faithful to the farming, we'd be happier about the idea of the coming harvest. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So let's here at Ignite get busy sowing the right stuff while it's still day, while we still have time, while we still have opportunity to do so. Because night is coming when no one can work. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you, Lord, for uh, you coming through for us when we are otherwise weak and unable. And Father, I just pray that uh, as we're talking about sowing and reaping, Lord, that seeds that were planted would would find fertile soil, Lord, would, uh, would excite people to the point of uh, not just saying some things, Lord, but doing some things. Lord, might we put some action to those uh, commitments, some feet, Lord, to those commitments, and, and uh, just be amazed at what you do with that. Help us to be faithful to things that we need to be faithful here at Ignite to. Lord, we are expectant, we are hopeful, we are waiting for you to work in big ways through this congregation. Lord, we thank you in advance for it. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.